0: The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Grab your Bible, your iPad, your Android mobile device, whatever you got. Galatians chapter 2, so we'll be going to look at one verse, which is, I believe, the quintessential verse uh, that we need to understand if we're going to live the overcoming, victorious Christian life. I heard the story about a couple of guys that went elk hunting up in the Northwest, they Chartered a little plane and they flew up to the nether regions of the northwest. They'd get dropped off a couple of days. They did this every year. They hunt for elk and then they'd fly those elk out that they would kill. And so they they chartered that little plane and and as they went up, they they noticed that on the paperwork they signed and and all the all the signs inside the plane said three elk max, three elk max. Well, uh, the the pilot dropped them off. They hunted a couple days. And, uh, and then they came uh, out of the woods uh, two days later when the plane flew back in with four elk. As the pilot landed, he saw them pulling out four elk. And uh, so the pilot reminded them, said, look, you, you signed the papers, you saw the signs, three elk max, we can't get four elk and then you and us all on this plane and t- the plane won't take off. They said, look, we, we've done this before. Last year, we chartered a plane just like this, same size, we flew up here. We got four elk. And do you know that we got four elk on that plane and flew out just fine? They, 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 he said, you're telling me that you came in here last year on a plane this size and you got four elk and the plane took off? They said, I'm telling you, the plane took off. All right. Well, I'll make an exception. So they put the four elk on the plane. The two hunters got on, the pilot got on and they took off. They went down the little dirt runway and, and, and then they started spitting and sputtering. Finally, they, they, they got off the ground. They took off. Well, about 100, 120 feet in the air and they started nosing down a little. And then next thing you know, they were crashing. Man, they crashed good. Well, they were crawling out of the wreckage and those two hunters looked at each other. and One said to the other, said, well, where do, you, where do you reckon we are? And his friend looked back and said, well, it looks like about the same place we crashed last year. <laughs> a lot of us live our Christian life like that. We, we, we may have been walking with Jesus for 20 years, but did we grow up in the Lord 20 years or did we just repeat year one 20 times? There's a difference. And I believe that the quintessential verse on learning to live the overcoming victorious Christian life in your marriage and in your stewardship and in your parenting and and, and in your witness and in every dimension of life really comes down to what's in this one verse in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Paul writes this, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's read it again. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh or in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, now, I, I, there are four things in this verse I want to tell you about the Christian life. These are four true things about the Christian life that are always be true. They've never not been true. And to the degree we believe and receive and act like these are true, we'll live the victorious, overcoming Christian life. But if we're ever struggling in our life and our walk with God, it's usually because one of these are out of alignment. Sometimes you take your car into the mechanic and he'll tell you your tires are wearing out faster than they ought to. And then he'll say something like this. The reason they're wearing out faster than they ought to is because they are out of what? Alignment, right? And you gotta get an alignment. And what I found is a lot of Christians are trying to work hard and serve God and they're burning out a lot quicker than they ought to because something's out of alignment. And so these one of these four things is usually it. So I want to give you these four things. Now, if you're joining us online today, uh, we're glad you're here, by the way. I don't want to neglect you at all. You're a part of this congregation this morning. I wish you could be in the room today. We have about 3,000 in here, packed gill to gill, wall to wall. But uh, however many there are, we're glad you're watching here today. So just tune in and hang on. Four things about the victorious overcoming Christian life. What is it? Well, let's go to the text. First of all, it is a crucifixional life. The Christian life is a crucifixional life. Go to verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, why in the world do we need to be crucified in the Christian life while we're living it? Well, let let me ask you a question. What did you do in order to get saved? Zero. What did you do to save yourself? Nothing. Is there any works that you applied in order to show God that you're worthy of salvation so you could get it? Did not happen. You cannot be saved by works. Well, Scott, God gave the Old Testament law, weren't they saved by the Old Testament law in the Old Testament? No, not at all. If you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, the mirror might show you that your face is dirty, but it will not wash your face. In the same way, in the same way, the law is given not so that we can keep the law to be saved, but to show us we're lawbreakers and that we need a savior and his name is Jesus, right? It pointed to the cross. It pointed to what was to come. So listen, you can't save yourselves. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until you gave up. Listen, I remember one time uh, hearing a story by Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee tells a story about being swimming with some friends. They're all out in the lake swimming some were on the shore. Most of them were in the water. And all of a sudden, one of his friends got a leg cramp. He started going down. Man, he was drowning. I mean, going under. Well, one among them was a trained lifeguard and he was seated on the shoreline. Well, naturally, all eyes went to him like friend drowning. You're his friend. You're trained. Go save He didn't move, did not budge. He sat in his chair, just looking at him, going down, seeing blah, blah, blah for the last time. Finally, he said, when it seemed like our friend was lost, it was gone, drowned. Our friend who was a lifeguard, jumped up out of his chair, dove into the water, dragged the man to shore, pumped the water from his lungs and saved his life. He said, man, I was so glad, but I was so mad at the same time. Thank God he saved his life. But man, why did you wait so long? We almost lost him. And he said this, he said, because a man who needs to be saved, as long as he's trying to save himself while drowning, cannot be saved. Because his efforts to save himself will hinder the want, the efforts of the one who has dove in to save him. It is not until a man entirely gives up his efforts that he can actually be saved by the one trying to save him. Boy, isn't that a picture of the Christian life, salvation. We got into this thing predicated on a confession. We can't save ourselves. Lord, nothing good in me do I bring, only to Thy cross I cling. I cannot save myself. Then, here's the question. Why in the world, if God didn't need our help, to save us. Why in the world do we think God needs our help to help us live the victorious, overcoming Christian life? We get into this thing saying, God, I can't do nothing. And then we get saved. It's like, God, step aside. Now watch me work hard for you. And God says, no, it is a crucifixional life. See, look, I want you to think about this. Think about about the phases you go through in the Christian life. There, There are basically three phases in the Christian life. First stage of the Christian life is, the Christian life is easy. Do you remember that face? You remember that face? The Christian life is easy. Man, when you got saved, man, it's like the sun was shining, the birds were singing, angels were picking their harps. I mean, all temptation faded from the planet. And guess what? You love the Bible and you loved the church and you love going to Sunday school and you love worship. Man, you just loved it. And you're thinking, man, why didn't I get saved sooner? This is great. I just love God. I love Jesus. I'm so glad I'm saved. Why didn't I do this sooner? The Christian life is easy. Well, that don't last long, does it? If you're in reality, sooner or later you realize the Christian life is difficult, phase two, right? Christian life is difficult, this is not easy. I'm going uphill in a downhill world. I'm, I'm going upstream in a downstream world. I'm wearing a white hat and a black hat world. The Christian life is difficult. But you know what? God doesn't want to leave you at phase one. He won't. The Christian life is easy. God will not leave you at phase two. The Christian life is difficult. God is trying to get us to phase three, which is where he wants us. The Christian life is impossible. See, y'all came to church for some good news today, didn't you? The Christian life is impossible. You cannot live the Christian life. He wants to live it through you, so that's number two. The Christian life is not only crucifixional, it is incarnational. God has one program for our best effort. God has one program for our best self. God has one program for all the things we bring, saying, God, you can use this. God says, I wanna put it on a cross. Crucify it, why? Because it's an incarnational life, that Jesus would live his life through you. Watch this, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live. All right, Paul, well, then who's living? I see you walking, talking, acting, breathing, what's going on? He says, but Christ, Christ lives in me. It is an incarnational life. Christ lives in me. Now, that, I don't know about you, that is good news that the Jesus of the Bible lives inside of you. Do you understand? Christ lives in you. If you're born again, if you've given your heart to Christ, He lives inside of you, the same Jesus that walked on the water, the same Jesus who opened blinded eyes, the same Jesus who fed 5,000 with the boys' fish and chips, the same Jesus who called Lazarus out of his own grave and got up out of his own grave four days later, Jesus himself who rose, rose from the dead. He lives inside of you. Wow. I'm so excited I'll say that backwards. Wow. Upside down. Mom. Jesus lives inside of you. Listen to me. Jesus lives inside of you in the face of every temptation, in the face of every opposition, in the face of every discouragement, in the face of every satanic attack. Jesus lives inside of us. It is an incarnational life. What does that mean? Why well, don't you think about this? What's one of the verses that we tell people who don't know Christ that they need to know Christ? One of the verses is all have sin and fallen short of the what? Glory of God, very good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is God's standard. His glory is his standard. And all have sinned and fallen short, right, of the glory of God. You can't achieve the glory of God. You can't get to that standard. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's another verse that's more obscure I'll share with you now that's quite telling about that standard. Colossians 127 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God Christ in you is the hope of glory you say I still don't get it all right let me give you an illustration what if God said we had to golf par in order to go to heaven don't even crank up the cart because I don't even putt putt good anybody with me Got to golf par in order to go to heaven. Well, I guess I'm going to hell. I mean, that's just, what would we do if God said you had to golf par in order to go to heaven? Now, what if in that scenario, there was a way to get Tiger Woods into my body? Tiger Woods, right? Jack Nicklaus. Guess what? Now there's hope of par. Y'all tracking? Y'all with me? Listen, I can't do it, but can Tiger Woods do it? He's done it. I can't do it. Can Jack Nichols do it? He's done it. I can't do it, they can do it, they did it. Listen, you and I can't live the Christian life. Jesus can live the Christian life. Jesus can love those people that you have a hard time loving. Jesus can forgive those who've hurt you so bad you're can't have. you having a hard time forgiving. Jesus can give you wisdom of himself that you don't have the wisdom when you're raising the kids and managing your finances and working in a difficult marriage. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to live his life through you. Listen, our most of what we do in church is oriented toward helping people go, try something and attempt something great for God when God wants us, to die to ourselves, die to our effort, die our ways, so that he can live his great life through us. Amen. (laughs) It is an incarnational life. Christ lives in me. By the way, how do you connect into that power? He says, I live it by faith. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith is crucial in making all this work. Listen to how central faith is. Galatians 3.11, the righteous shall live by faith thank you both of you god bless you this would be the interactive portion of the program all right the righteous shall live by faith so if i'm going to be righteous at all got to involve faith watch he- hebrews 11:6 without faith it is highly unlikely you'll please god and that's not what it says he- hebrews 11:6 says without faith it is impossible to please god in other words it ain't going to happen romans 14:23 anything that does not come from faith is sin. Wow. Anything, Paul? Anything. What does anything mean? Anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Anything even means anything attempted for God. Say, what do you mean? All right, Sunday morning in Tabernacle Baptist Church, Cartersville, Georgia. Let's say across town, on one side of town, there's a guy preaching a sermon that's never preached a sermon in his life, Don, ever. Matter of fact, pastor got COVID, said, I can't preach, you're gonna preach. He said, I've never preached before. And pastor said, give it your best shot. And then across on the other side of the town, there's a guy that's gonna preach a sermon at another church that's preached his sermon a thousand times. He's about to stand up and preach a sermon he's preached a thousand times. He's perfected the sermon. He, he's got such a, and he's seen thousands saved when he's preached a sermon a thousand times. It's like every time he gets up and preaches it, people get saved. It's an amazing sermon. It's a wonderful message from the word of God. He's about to do it. He's preached a thousand times. He doesn't need notes. He stands up. He's got it all in his head. He's memorized it. Just, he's done it. He's seen it. These two guys are taking the pulpit at the same time on two different ends of Cartersville, Georgia. One's never preached a sermon before. One has preached a sermon a thousand times and seen Results, they're both about to say, here's the question, which one needs the most faith? Well, part of me says, that guy ain't never preached before, he better, he better really be believing God, because it is like walking on water to him. No, look, here's the truth, they both need the same faith. <laughs> They both need to step up and act as if they are helplessly, hopelessly dependent on the move of God for anything eternal to happen in that moment. Do you understand? But let's be honest. Let's be honest. The guy that's preached a sermon a thousand times, it is his default temptation to lean on his experience and his knowledge and his skill and his his past results than he is to lean on the power of the Spirit of God. Isn't that true? Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying in the sense that it is, that is why our, our greatest, Strength can become our greatest weakness to the degree that it displaces our faith in God. Folks, I, I got to get up. We got to get up every day if it's, as if it's the first day we got saved and we don't know anything and we need Him for everything. Amen. <laughs> by faith, it's an incarnational life. I, I got to keep moving. Number three, He says in verse 20, He said, The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then He says, who loved me. Who loved me. Number one, the Christian life is, an inc- is, a, is a crucifixional life. Number two, the Christian life is an incarnational life. Christ in me is the hope of glory. Number three, the Christian life is a devotional life. He loved me. He, he, here's some good news for you today. Jesus loves you. Now, now why do we need to know that? Because a lot of, every one of us in this room needs love. And here's the truth. If I don't have my love needs met by the one whose love is the greatest of all love, y'all with me? If I don't get it settled real quick, very early in every single day that he loves me and that is the love that I need, y'all with me? Then I will go out into this world with all my insecurities and my deficiencies and I will try to manipulate and milk my love needs to be met out of other people in this world who also have their own love issues. And the driving force of my life will be what am I going to get out of any transaction when it comes to the approval of people and impressing people and being liked by people and being loved by people when God wanted to settle that first thing and he did it on the cross and that we are loved by the one whose love is altogether lovely. And when he loves us, listen, when we settle it that we have love needs, but he loves us and it's an unconditional love, we can get so full of the love of Jesus that we can go out in a world that has lots of love deficiencies and we can live. Literally, be a conduit and a stream of flow to fill the love gaps in their life by the love by which Jesus has filled us Himself. Thank God. And I'm gonna tell you, I don't know, I don't know if you're on social media like I am. Our world needs a whole lot of love, y'all. With me, especially right now. Well, who do you think God's scanning the globe for the people to plug into that? It's us. And in the cross. He settled it by saying he loves us. Paul said, "Who loved me and gave himself for me?" Jesus loves us and he wants to love through us. Why? Cuz it's incarnational, it's devotional, it's crucifixional, and one more, he said, "Who loved me and gave himself for me?" He gave himself for me. So number four, not only is it a crucifixional life, not only is it an incarnational life, not only is it a devotional life, it's a substitutional life. It's a substitutional life. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus die for me? Did Jesus die for me? Did Jesus die for you? Now, we believe in something called substitutional atonement. He atoned for my sins by dying on the cross, watch this, in my place. So when we say Jesus died for me, here's what we mean. Legally, in the spiritual realm, in God's courtroom, as it were, he died as me. So when the devil comes and says, Scott ought to pay for his sins, his sins are real, and they're real offenses to your holiness, God. Scott ought to have to pay for his sins. The only way he ought to be able to do that is the only fitting way, which is an eternal hell. He deserves that. God says, you're right, devil, but the debt has already been paid. He's already died. He's already considered as if he died for those sins. Why? Because God says in his word that we were, watched united with Christ in his death. He died as me. Guess what? It didn't stop there, did it? Because he was buried. Do you know that in Romans 6, the Bible says we're united with him in his burial, just like we were united with him in his death? So listen, he died as me, he was buried as me. Question Did it end there? (laughs) No. Sets Christianity apart from every religion on the planet. He up from the grave arose, did he not? He arose. Guess what? Do you know that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 6 that God made us alive with Christ. So when he came out, we came out to walk in newness of life, Romans 6 says. And so why? Because he didn't just raise for me, he raised as me. That's why I can say I'm a new creature in Christ, but guess what? didn't end there either. He died as me, he buried as me, he rose as me. Guess what? He ascended, did he not? He ascended, do you know that he ascended substitutionally to the same degree that he died substitutionally, was buried substitutionally, and rose substitutionally. He ascended to the right hand of God. When he went up, we went up in a very real sense. That is why Colossians two and three can say, do not set your affections on things that are on the earth, but on things above, watch, on things above, set your affections on things above where your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right now, so if you're asking me if I'm going to heaven when I die, you're wasting your time, because I'm already there. You say, do you understand that, preacher? No, I do not understand that, but I don't understand airplane cockpits either, but I still fly on airplanes. I don't have have enough faith to fly the thing just to sit down in the seat and ride. And the fact is, there's a lot of things in Christ I don't fully understand, but I know what the Bible's teaching. I don't fully understand it, but I get to enjoy it. The fact is, we have a fully substitutional life in Jesus. And our our eternity is secured because of that. Because he died as me, he was buried as me, he rose as me, he ascended as me. It is a substitutional life. And by the way, we are his substitutes. They won't hear from Jesus if we don't speak, y'all with me? We are his hands, we are his eyes, we are his feet to a generation. If Christ had been as committed to the cross, committed to us as we are to him, Probably would have never gone to Calvary. It is a substitutional life. Substitutional life. These are four truths about the Christian life. Now, how does this work out? When God asks you to serve, when God asks you to witness, when God asks you to raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, when God asks you to conduct a marriage that pictures Christ in his church, when, when God asks you to do hard things. To live that overcoming victorious Christian life, how does that work out? I've, I've brought with me this morning a very dirty, old, white glove, do you see that? There's a world of truth in that glove, I'm gonna share it with you. And I've got a book here, I'm gonna lay on this podium. So I have a glove and a book, simple equation, glove and a book. Now, I'm gonna ask you a question, and we're going to vote on the answer. It is a yes or no answer. Not yes and, not no but, but yes or no. We will vote on the answer because we're Baptists, we will vote, that's what Baptists do. And so I'm gonna ask the question, do not say anything out loud. You'll signify by voting. Voting's been in the news a lot lately, I'm gonna add to that. By the way, this is gonna be an honest election, all right? So just hang on, everything's up front, all right? Yes or no answer, you vote, there is no wrong answer. You're covered by grace. I'll get to both answers, but right now, just think of your answer. Can the glove pick up this book? Don't speak. Can the glove pick up this book? How many of you say, yes, it can pick up the book? Raise your hands. Go ahead right now. Raise your hand. All right, got you down here. Got you. I see we vote as family units. Okay, that's pretty good. It's in the DNA. All right. How many of you, <laughs> yes, it can pick up the book. Okay, how many of you say, no, it cannot pick up the book? Raise your hand. All right. All right, we still vote as family units. There's a few rebels, but not many. Now, if you looked at your mama before voting, God bless your heart. That's, all right, put your hand down. Now, I'll get to both answers, there's no wrong answer, but bear with me. No, the glove can't pick up the book. Look at the stupid thing. Now, why can't that glove pick up that book? Here's why. Because I have not told it to. So I'm gonna tell that glove to pick up that book. Glove, pick up that book. Is it gonna work? be here all day keep telling it Scott you know there's another service behind this one we got to go it's not going to work is it now you know what's amazing to me because I've been in church since nine months before I was born I know what I'm talking about there's a most of what we do in church is oriented around telling people to go live for Jesus Yet you can't go live for Jesus by being told to go live for Jesus any more than that glove can pick up that book by being told to do it. What's the problem? Oh, (laughs) I didn't tell it how. Okay, glove, here's what you got to do. Slide way back, take a running start, slide four fingers underneath that book, throw the uh, thumb uh, over the top, squeeze with equal pressure on both sides, and lift, and you can pick up that book. Now do it. Is that helping? (laughs) Not going to help. Yeah, we got podcasts and radio preachers and TV preachers and books flying off family bookstores, Zondervan bookstore, Lifeway bookstore bookshelves telling people how to go live the overcoming, victorious, demon-chasing, God-glorifying life, and it doesn't work half the time. We struggle. Why? Well, because that glove can't pick up that book by being told how. We can't. Just go do the right thing, be told to live for Jesus, and told how, and it really have any lasting effect. What is the problem? Oh, I know the problem. That is an unmotivated glove. That glove has zero motivation. If he was motivated, he'd lift that book. So I'm going to, pardon me, I'm going to, right now, I'm going to motivate my glove. All right. Ra, ra, shish, boom, ba, here's the glove, there's the book. you can do it, you can do it, go, spirit. Is that going to work? Yet how many of us think if we teach that Sunday school class or we're raising our kids or or we're in that marriage or, or we're even in the pulpit and we're thinking, man, if I could just motivate them. If I, could just, if I could just tell them the right story, if I could just, if I could just move them in their emotions, if I, if I could just make them feel a certain way, man, if I can just get, if they're just being motivated, I gotta motivate them, man, I, I spent years of my ministry, it was all about motivation. If I could just jack them up off the floor that high and really just let them have it, man, they'll go out and they'll take hell with a water pistol and they'll live for Jesus. And you know what, that lasts about a week. Why, because our emotions are the shadowest part of who we are, fickle, right? Mind, will, and emotions. And our emotions, yet we, listen, watch, let's be honest. We judge about 90% of what goes on in this building by emotions. We'll meet the pastor at the back door and say, man, the Lord sure was here today in a way I hadn't, 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 hadn't felt him in a long time. Last time I checked, we're two or more gathered he's there, amen? <laughs> but we, we feel, look, why do we keep expecting God to do his deepest work in our shallowest part? Oh. I see the problem. It's not it's not the emotions, it's not that it's the discipline. The glove is undisciplined. Do you see how undisciplined that glove is? Crazy glove. Undisciplined glove. It just conforms. There's not enough force being exerted on the inside that'll keep it from conforming to whoever it's in with or around on the outside. You ever met a Christian like that? That glove needs discipline. Now, my daughter, I, I never try, we tried to never do this in public. It was embarrassing. We always tried to discipline in private. But now I'm, I'm on this TV screen in front of 10 million people, and I'm going to have to discipline my glove. And so y'all bear with me. I'm sorry. I know it's a little awkward, but i got to discipline my glove. Y'all excuse me. Here's a spanking for you, Mr. Glove. If you don't waste your life and finally get busy and make yourself worth something, you'll start lifting this book. Don't embarrass me. Is that gonna work? Not gonna work, not gonna work yet. How many ministries are built on, make them feel guilty, let them have it. Listen, sometime we ought to feel guilty. There's a bright place for guilt and conviction. Don't get me wrong, understand, but I'll tell you this, it is a lousy motivator, especially long-term. There has to be something better than that guilt. Oh, I see the problem now. I see why this glove will not pick up that book. It's dirty. And it is, it's dirty. It's disqualified from picking up books. Nobody wants a dirty glove picking up their book. So I got to do something with this glove. What I got to do? I got to take it home. I got to wash it in Tide. And then I got to take it out Tide. Y'all get that later. And I dry it off in the sun. Nice, clean glove I bring back in. Clean glove The qualification has been removed, Mr. Glove. Pick up the book. Is he going to do it? Yet how many of us, that is the extent of what we offer God in the Christian life. Lord, I have been forgiven. Here I am. And while forgiveness does remove the qualification, it does not insert any power for service. What's the answer? What? I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Look at a verse with me, Galatians 4, 19. You might not even have to flip the page. I mean, it's right there, bam. Paul says, my little children. Now, he didn't mean his physical children. He, he, he meant his spiritual offspring. He had led them to Christ. He was the missionary that had introduced them to the gospel. My little children from whom I labor in birth again, again means Twice, the first time was to get them saved. The second time was to get them into victory in the overcoming Christian life. From my labor and birth again until Christ is formed. How many of you said, yes, the glove can pick up the book? How many of you raised your hand and said, yes, the glove can pick up the book? Okay, I'm going to let you speak now. The glove can pick up the book if what? Put your hand. Thank you. Put your hand in it. Very smart people here. Put your hand in it. Okay, hands in the glove, picking up the book. Come on, come on. Now, if you look in the dictionary, (laughs) definition of hand is everything above the wrist. Everything above my wrist is inside that glove. What you told me was accurate, it was not adequate. He says that Christ would be formed in you. A lot of you have Jesus in your heart. I've been here in my Christian life many, many times. And the problem wasn't that I needed more of Jesus. The problem was that even though I had Jesus, and all the Jesus I was ever going to get inside my heart and inside my life, when I went to go out and live for him, all I was doing was applying more glove power to do that, forgetting that the glove doesn't have any power. Y'all with me? I want you to look at that verse again, verse 19. Until Christ is what? formed in you. There are two Greek words that he could have used to be translated what we would say is the word formed in English. Two words. One Greek word is the word schema. We get our word schematic from that word. If I were to bring in a lump of clay, I would have set it onto the podium, I would have pushed it, prod it. That's schema. That is outward formation. That is not the word he chose to use here. The word he used here is the word morphe. We get our word metamorphosis from that word. When you were in school, some of you still are, you studied a particular bug or insect, not even that, worm that turned into a butterfly. It went through metamorphosis. That's what that caterpillar does. That caterpillar, when he becomes that butterfly after metamorphosis, he don't look the same, he don't walk the same, he don't fly the same, he don't travel the same, he don't eat the same. There's a change. Here's what the word morphe means that's translated formed in this verse. Morphe means an inward change that is so real and dynamic on the inside that it breaks into visibility on the outside. A real change that is so forceful and dynamic on the inside that it breaks into visibility on the outside. He said, until Christ, is more fully formed in you. Listen, it is an incarnational life. It is not about applying more glove power. It's about crucifying the glove so that the life of the hand can live through the glove using whatever it wants to in the glove. Here's what I found. The glove cannot lift the book. But here's what I've learned about these gloves. The glove can do whatever the hand can do as long as it is surrendered to, cooperative with, and submitted to that hand. The Christian life is not about straining, it's about containing. It's not flesh based, it's faith based. It's not driven by morality, it is driven by spirituality. So that when God says, Pick up the book, without hesitation, we can say, Yes, sir. What's your book? What's your thing? What's the thing God's telling you to do that you feel is bigger than you that, you? that you feel inadequate to undertake? Let me give you some news. You are inadequate to undertake it. That's never been the question. It wasn't the question with Moses. It wasn't the question for Elijah. It wasn't the question for Peter. It wasn't the question for Paul. It wasn't a question for any of those dudes. It was there was only one question: Will you let me live your life through me? My, my life through you, rather. That's the question. So whatever, what is the book? What is the thing that God's calling you to pick up, to undertake? What is the temptation you've been facing? What is the ditch that's been repeating itself in your life? The defeat cycle you find yourself in. What is the invisible ceiling on the victory of your walk with God? What is the thing? What is the book? And most believers try their own way. Well, if I just try harder, If I just dedicate more, if I just New Year's resolution, prayer partners, journal, go down, nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm telling you, at some point, we've got to realize it ain't me, it's you. There's an old song we used to sing. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. What would happen in Cartersville, Georgia? What would happen in your home? What would happen where you work? What could happen where you go to school? If this many folk said, it ain't me working harder for him, it's him living his life through me. Be more Jesus. Be more fully formed in me. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.